Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Okay, if you are like me, you have fought, you've been in touch with your loved ones across the country, particularly those in sort of the 80 and up category. Um, I have been encouraging my 81 and 86-year-old um, parents, you know, that they probably don't need to go out and participate in all the things that they want to. So, um, you know, what does it look like for us to take care of those who are older than us? Um, and, and, you know, I'm not even saying that we go visit them necessarily because we just bring contaminants into their environment. So how do we support them in continuing to live independently? And, uh, and how do we support them, you know, as, as this sort of coronavirus, I'm going to use the word scare, as the coronavirus scare spreads, because really the fear and the panic is spreading much faster than the virus, at least here in the United States of America. And so um, we're going to be praying today for people in nursing homes, people working in nursing homes, people whose families uh, are, you know, tangential to all of those relationships. want to lift up uh, these cancellations, like, right, there's tons of stuff that's been canceled. When an event is canceled, the impact is has just these rippling effects throughout all of the um, adjacent businesses that would be impacted by a whole group of people coming to a city or coming to a community for an event. Um, and so let's just be thinking about all of those things. Um, in in states across the country, uh, there are new, I mean, every single day you're going to see these um, these announcements where these containment areas, we don't call them um, quarantines here in the United States. Apparently, we call them containment areas. There is, as of this morning, a containment area, a three-mile, square-mile containment area uh, around New Rochelle, uh, New York. Uh, and that means nobody's going to be leaving that three-mile containment area, and nobody is going to be entering it. Nobody. And so um, just imagine for a moment that you drew a three-mile circle around wherever you are right now, and consider that for a period of time, you were not allowed to leave it and nobody from the outside of it was allowed to come in. How would that affect your life in Massachusetts? Um, well, anyway, there's all kinds of places across the country that you could look and find information about these things, probably some very close to where you live. Um, in Seattle, there are all kinds of things that are happening citywide. If you want to sort of see how your city or community might respond in coming weeks to the coronavirus if it continues to spread, Seattle is probably on the forefront nationally of large cities that have put into place all kinds of um, mitigation efforts. There are more than now 55 colleges and universities across the country that have suspended in-person classes, many of them for the rest of the school year, some of them for a couple of weeks. Just this morning, Duke and UCLA were added to that list. Um, That is actually where the quote that this dorms are like cruise ships. That's where that quote started. And then, of course, it has been 
expanded by others to talk about, uh, you know, if dorms are like cruise ships, how much more are prisons like cruise ships? And then how much more than that are even like refugee um, camps? We call them camps, but they're really places where people are all penned in and not, not allowed to leave. How much more so are they like cruise ships? And, of course, we don't want anybody getting on a cruise ship right now. So we wouldn't want anybody in any of these other circumstances as well. Um, your church may be looking at ways to um, to handle either containment or mitigate um, the effects of the coronavirus. Sixteen countries around the world have closed all of their schools. What would happen? What would the impact of our life of our lives be and livelihoods if all of our schools were closed? from now to the end of the year. How does that impact each and every one of us in terms of how we're going to care for all of those kids um, and what we're going to do in the meantime? So I'm going to have a conversation with Bill English up next about how do we as business owners or managers or organizational leaders, how do we make contingency plans for what is currently unknown, but the effects of which we might be able to anticipate? So that conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. Good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. I have all kinds of plans for this conversation. Oh, I'm sure you do. The number of <laughs> questions you sent me last night in the email, I was like, I, I'm not even going to prep. I'm just going to go on the air and just ch- chat with Your you. Your whole life has been preparation for this conversation, Bill. Your whole life. <laughs> all everything, 59 years. Everywhere okay. you've ever been, everything you've ever done, every verse you've ever read, preparation for this right now. All right. There you go. So, um, so Bill, people are living today with, you know, we're trying to just live our lives. We're trying to go about our business. We're trying to do what's in front of us to do. But we all kind of recognize that, wow, we're just we're just living in this um, global moment, national moment, local moment, where if the news comes down that we have been somewhere in close proximity to a person who, let's say today, is diagnosed with the coronavirus, our individual life, the life of our family, the life of our business, the school our kids attend, the church we go to, all of those places are going to be immediately impacted. And so how do we as business owners, managers, organizational leaders, how do we make contingency plans for stuff that's unknown, um, but what, but that we could at least anticipate may well happen in the next days or weeks? Yeah, yeah. This is part of risk mitigation. And so the... the First of all, what does the word mitigation mean? Mitigation, to get rid of it. In other words, to limit it, to uh, suppress it, maybe might be another way to put it. So um, what what you have to do is look at on on, there's an X axis and a Y axis. So you have the line going vertical and you have a line going horizontal. And what you do is you say, here's all the potential things that could happen. And you plot it along one line. And then on the other line, you say, what's the severity to our business or our family or a project or a church, whatever, if it does happen and you plot that on the other line. And then you'll end up with four quadrants and you take the quadrant with the most, the most likely events that have the highest severity and you start to plan for them. 
what would we do? And you kind of game it out, right? You just you, you you game it out and you say, if if this happens, then we're going to take these steps to do these things. And then there might be some <clears throat> proactive mitigation steps that you can take to lessen the um, likelihood that a particular um, uh, event, event will happen. So let's say, for example, you are a pastor of a church or you're an elder in a church and you're saying, well, how do we handle the coronavirus given that we meet every day on Sundays? We don't know who's going to come in. We don't know what kind of viruses they have. We don't we, 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 we just don't know. And let's just say for giggles, you have a thousand people who go to your church uh, on a regular basis. Well, and bring their babies and, and drop bring, them off well, yeah, and put yeah. them in the hands of other people and right yeah right ahead. yeah you know it's it's not a bad thing so it, it, all you got to do is just manage it so you know what 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 could happen well somebody with coronavirus comes in somebody with this other virus comes in you know how are we going to handle that well proactively you could say we're going to pass out hand sanitizer right uh, mm-hmm. that might be we just we just have wipes at the door with trash cans all over the place and oh and like pe- the grocery store where they provide that thing for me to wipe off my cart right right nice. you know that would be a proactive step that a church could take or a or a community organization or a business could take i can tell you at accurate home care where i we're still you know I'm still a CEO there. We have hand sanitizer everywhere, right? But we're also a medical facility. So my sister says yesterday to me on the phone. Yeah. Were were people not washing their hands prior to this? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah, people weren't washing their hands. Wow. I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm I'm this is another bill bummer bummer bill Wednesday, I guess it is, oh, but you man. know, uh, the, the, we're gonna the, have to have like we're gonna have to call it like redeeming Bill Wednesday, <laughs> and it would have a double on. entendre. No, right? we, we 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 could have so much fun with Bummer Bill Wednesday. I mean, we could <laughs> build it up here. You know, you know he, okay. Paul we're trying to build another... up an audience, Paul. We're not trying to drive oh, people away. Okay, sorry. Okay. They're already to... driving. We want to. We want to. Yeah. He just wants to build another thirty-second spot. That's all you want to do. There you go. So. <laughs> but uh, you know, so so there are some things you can do proactively, some things you do reactively. The the things that are highly severe but not likely to happen, you don't plan for those. You just you know pray that they don't happen, and if they do, you'll deal with what's there. So okay, I'm putting pray pray in my because on my y axis, I made it less severe to really severe, and on my x x axis, which is my up going up and down unlikely to likely. So it's higher likelihood. So my upper right-hand quadrant is the one I want to be really focused on and paying attention to. But if it's really severe but unlikely, I'm just putting prey in yeah, that box. Yeah. Okay. And look, and look, good. actually, people have a much better chance of getting a common cold than they do of getting the coronavirus. Sure. And people have a much a more likelihood that they will die in an automobile accident today than they will be getting a coronavirus. There's a lot of things that are much more common that were not hyped up about that can really harm us uh, than the coronavirus. And so we have to keep this stuff in perspective in spite of the fear that's coming from the media today. Yeah. Okay. Perspective is a really good word. Um, If you are driving right now, we're going to pray one of those hedge of protection prayers around you. Bill English and I will be right back. I don't know if you can check any of this out at BibleandBusiness.com, but Bill does have some good stuff posted there. We'll be right back. Tell you that the fight's already been won. Well, I think your day's about to get 
All right, I'm continuing my conversation this morning with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, and I am now going to present him with some scenarios. <laughs> Vignettes. Bill, welcome to <laughs> Wonderful Wednesday. Wonderful Wednesday with Bummer yeah. Bill. All right. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so here's scenario number one. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, I have a small business. Yeah. One of my employees, um, oh, all but one of my employees have school-age kids. Yeah. Schools in our community um, are going to close down out of an abundance of caution. So what are some options? Uh, a couple of options for the business owner. Number one, you uh, hire some uh, uh, babysitters and you coalesce them somewhere in your offices and let people bring their kids to work. And you figure out how to share the costs on that. That would be one. Uh, and a lot of hand sanitizer. Uh, number two, you, those who can work from home, you let them work from home. And you send them home with a lot of hand sanitizer. Uh, number three, uh, you look at those who are like in a production line or, or something where they cannot have kids with them and they cannot go home. Uh, you work with them to see if you can help subsidize temporarily some child care for them and some hand sanitizer. So... Bill, I feel like you you have stock in some sort of hand sanitizer company, but I'm going to resist <laughs> saying that. Okay, those are good. Those are really good ideas. Those are really great ideas. Yeah. Um, I'm. I, I think that maybe as a part of that, if I'm a church leader and I know I have small business owners who are going to be in this kind of predicament, you know, maybe this is a proactive opportunity for the church to say, "Hey, we could be the place where." You know, for a couple of our small businesses, we actually provide this kind of uh, of student care, child care, I don't know what the language is going to be. I mean, in much the same way that during spring break or the summer, we have stuff at church that's for kids, recognizing that parents who aren't at home need a place for their kids to be that's safe. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm just brainstorming. I mean, maybe that's more kids than we want in one place, and that's a challenge, and we probably have to talk to our insurance company about that. But um, but that would be an option, and maybe we could staff it with volunteers um, as well. All right, yeah, I, how like, about, I like that idea. Yeah, here's... Um, I'm the person with the good ideas. You're bummer, Bill. I'm like wonderful. I don't know. I need I need something that goes with you know, starts with a C. I need creative I need just Carmen. that audio. You're bummer, Bill. I just need that two seconds, right? You know. <laughs> okay, so I'm in volunteer leadership um, at my church. At what point do we cancel gatherings beyond a certain number of people? Boy, I think we're a long way away from that. To me personally, again, you know, I, we're just a long ways away from that. There are so many more things that we accept as risks in our society that hurt us and harm us, and yet we still get together. I, I, at, at its core, I think this coronavirus is way overhyped. I really do. When you look at the, like, like the John Hopkins. In terms of the actual risk that individuals listen exactly. right now. All right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I concur. It's, it's, just, it's just overhyped, and I don't, I don't like to feed that. Good. All right, so keep going to church and keep yeah. holding church events. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and hand Although, out, and a lot of hand, hand sanitizer. Yeah, got that. <laughs> okay, so let's do this one because I think that this is um, this is at, at sort of the pinch point for a lot of people. Um, I work uh, at a hotel or other you know outlet near a convention center. Oh, all boy. the conferences and concert, uh, all of the conferences and concerts have been canceled. I don't get paid if I don't work, so there's no work, so I'm not getting paid. What do I do? Well, you file for unemployment, for starters, and uh, you just look around for other work and ask the Lord to provide something supernaturally. Um, and and if it mean, if it means if it end end up meaning that you change jobs permanently, you do that. 
Yeah, there are lots of uh, of opportunities when there's a crisis. And so um, I think that people can be creative in terms of uh, looking for other work, even creating other work. Um, there are going to be any number of opportunities that emerge um, for delivery kinds of, uh, of things. Um, and, you know, I mean, just so I think that there's a an opportunity in the midst of this crisis as well. And so we don't want people to panic. I do think that as churches, we need to be prepared to help people think creatively. Um, I do think that churches should know how to help people file for unemployment. My guess is a lot of churches don't know how to do that. This has never been something that they've ever considered needing to help their people do. Other churches are very adept at these kinds of things. Um, And so uh, let's learn from one another in the midst of this and let's um, you know, let's be creative. Hey, those small business owners in our first scenario are going to suddenly need employees that they never needed before, or at least contract laborers for a period of time in relationship to childcare. Maybe the church hosts it. Maybe the small business helps um, helps underwrite it. And we also solve the employment problem for the individual who lost their um, hourly wage job near the convention center. So I do think there's a way for all of this to work together. There's, <clears throat> I, may, I may be wrong on the exact numbers, but I'm right on the concept. If I remember right, there's about 6 million people right now this morning looking for a new job, and there's 7.5 million job openings. So this is one of the first times since the Department of Labor has been tracking it where the number of job openings is greater substantially than the number of people looking for work. So in that last scenario that you mentioned, you work at a convention center, you get laid off. There's lots of other jobs out there that you can go get, and you can probably change them permanently. Uh, I doubt that employers are going to want to see you leave that quickly, and they may you may find them doing some extraordinary things to retain their workforce. And I, I know San Francisco's facing this, and other convention center areas are facing this. Uh, these these are difficult times for employers because the costs are going to shoot through the roof without commensurate revenue to cover those costs. Okay, this is a surprise question because I just thought of it. Okay. So I've heard this proposal that maybe there will possibly be a period of time during which um, payroll taxes are not taken out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Where does the payroll tax go and what is it used for? And so if we're if we're suspending payroll taxes for a period of time in order to put more money in the pockets of um, uh, of workers, which is sounds like a good thing. What are we then not paying for on the other end? Yeah. So the payroll tax, they're probably talking about the FICA tax, the federal insurance uh basically social security tax where the where the business pays half and the individual pays half and i think what they're talking about suspending is the half that the individual pays the company will still pay their half and so that 7.165% if i remember correctly would go directly into your pocket you just you would just have a little bit larger paycheck and you would spend that money presumably and stimulate the economy what isn't getting well, you're going to make me spend it on Hand sanitizer. Well, of course. Tell. Well, you yeah. sh- you know there are some great bargains <laughs> on the stock market right now. I tell you what, you ought to wow. be if you have the money, you ought to be extending your positions in the market right now. But no, this is not a financial advice I know, show. I know. No, no. But, I, I have to say that it's not a legal advice. We give no legal. We give we give actually no advice. We just talk. We just talk, right? Yeah. But um, 
but what's not getting paid on that FICA piece is is the deposits into the Social Security system. So ultimately, that means the government will borrow more money in the long run to meet its obligations. So really, who pays for it? The American taxpayer. Yeah. So it's a benefit. I mean, it would be a benefit. It would be a great thing in in the short run. But there's always a long term consequence that we should consider as we the people. All right, Bill, thank you as you always so much for joining us. Um, see, you were totally prepared for the conversation. Yeah, today. my life really prepared me for this. Yeah. Amen. That's the way we live. <laughs> All right. That's Bill English. You can find him at Bibleandbusiness.com. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. Okay, if you want sort of one-stop shopping in relationship to coronavirus updates, coronavirus.jhu. That's John Hopkins University, jhu.edu. Great resource center there, continually updated, lots of uh, very, well, it's accurate information, which is what we want you to have. So coronavirus.jhu for John Hopkins University.edu, jhu.edu. All right, up next, uh, John McWilliams. John is a retired pastor Um, He has equipped people around the world with the gospel. Uh, He is the author of a book called Off Course Christianity, a spiritual wake-up call. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Jesus understands you. He's faced hunger, sorrow, and death and wants to face them with you. The Bible says that Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. If Jesus understands our weaknesses, then so does God. Jesus was God in human form. He was God with us. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. Imanu means with us. El refers to Elohim or God. So Emmanuel is not an above us God or somewhere in the neighborhood God. He came as the with us God, all of us. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Search for restrictions on the promise and you'll find none. There's no withholding tax on God's with us promise. God is with us. What great news. This is Max Licato. Joining me now, uh, Pastor John McWilliams, among other things, the author of Off Course Christianity. You can um, you can find what we're talking about today at Tools PJ. That's like Tools Pastor John. ToolsPJ.com. John, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you, Carmen. Good morning to you. Yeah, well, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Um, I thought I might start with, okay, so like geographically, where are you and how are people in your community uh, responding? Is, is there panic where you live? I'm kind of I'm testing the waters with people around the country. So where are you geographically today and how are people uh, sort of living in the midst of the coronavirus? Well, geographically, I am right across the river from Columbus, Georgia, which is about an hour and a half south of west of Atlanta. And I'm in Alabama, actually, because the river in Columbus separates Alabama and Georgia. I'm in a town called Phoenix City, Alabama. And Alabama is one of about 11 states that has yet to have a case. So we're really not panicking at this point. But across the river, they do have a few things going on. But people are pretty much going about their business, uh, as I can see it here in our area. 
All right. I love that. I would also like to talk with you about what was happening a year ago. Um, a year ago now, you were on the ground in Beauregard, Alabama and surrounding areas um, responding to the catastrophic tornado that ripped through that that region. Um, and you were there with an organization that you started called Chainsaws for Jesus. Um, I really just just for, take people back to that event um, a year ago. Um, tell us what you experienced on the ground. I um, have had the opportunity this past weekend to do similar relief work uh, in the greater Nashville area. Um, I think that when we talk about putting feet to our faith, this is a good example of how to do it. Yeah, well, I started that back in Florida when we lived down there and we were near two very major hurricanes that hit near Naples, Florida, where we lived at the time and got a church that we were working with very interested. So they put up the money to buy a, a bunch of really high quality chainsaws and we organized men and women to go out and do free chainsaw work for people. Um, we were doing that every every Wednesday or something for like five months after those storms. And then last year, when this EF4 came tearing through this area, there was a lot of opportunity to do the same kind of thing. And the church that we go to, uh, my wife Barbara and I go to in, in Columbus, they were interested in doing the same thing. So we got that organized with a lot of people and did the same thing and went out and uh, really ministered to people and uh, brought the Lord's love to as many people as we could by doing a lot of free chainsaw work, which is very critical stuff, as you're aware of, after one of these things happens. And um, where I live, we were about five miles as the crow flies from where the tornado crossed over from Alabama into Georgia. So it was way too close for us and um, much too close for those poor folks out there. So again, I'm talking with John McWilliams. John has um, served Christ as a pastor, as a missionary, as a teacher, um, as a as a person who has gathered the stories of others and then and then reshared them. Um, we're going to talk today about one of your books called Off Course Christianity: A Spiritual Reality Check. Uh, and let me just tell everyone who's listening: um, this book and others are available for absolutely free download at Tools PJ, that stands for like Tools, Pastor John, ToolsPJ.com. So if you go to ToolsPJ.com, you can download the uh, the free ebook, Off Course Christianity, um, uh, A Spiritual Wake-Up Call. And so, John, uh, I'm going to just read the lead-off paragraph from the introduction. Okay. The fact, the fact is that as Christians, many of us have wandered from the lessons that our scriptures have taught us on many important topics. For years, we have seen the erosion of many biblical standards that have guided our society and world. Firmly held beliefs that we once took for granted from Scripture as meaning one thing are now being challenged and presented to us as having an entirely different interpretation. Amazingly enough, rather than standing up for God's Word as taught to us and believed in by millions, we have compromised and caved in to the demands of a very secular society that often mocks and demeans our Christian faith. Um, that is a, a, a very accurate assessment of what many Christians experience in terms of the world we find ourselves in. So talk about um, why you wrote this book and maybe the, the question that you were seeking to answer in it. Well, I wrote the book because after some 
35 to 40 years of, of ministry and uh, being a pastor and going around the world <clears throat> in mission work, I became convinced of what you just read. I became convinced that uh, many Christians have veered off of the course. If the course is following Scripture and if the Scripture really is the light unto our path that it's supposed to be, we have left that path and we have consciously left that path in many cases, not always, but we've left that path and we've gone on other paths that we now have somehow convinced ourselves are equally good paths to travel on. And um, the book deals with a number of specific kind of hot topics, I guess you would say, in areas of our faith where I feel we've really uh, gotten off the path of Scripture. Now, look, none of us are perfect. I certainly am a sinner just like anybody else. I'm, I'm not trying to be judgmental here of anybody's salvation, but lots of Christians even, as we saw in Scripture, uh, got off the trail and uh, walked into a lot of things that they said were all right, but they really weren't. In Judges 21-25, we see it very clearly that God says, Everybody was doing what they felt was okay in their own eyes, and that can become a very dangerous thing. So I put all these different topics together in this one book to try and assist people who read it to see if perhaps they are off course in their faith in some area, and perhaps they could read this book and see a way to get back on course. So um, I I appreciate uh, this approach, Um, and what John has sought to do here is is really have a very open and honest conversation um, with you and I as Christians on topics that we know we should be thinking about more critically than we are, um, but we have just not bothered to put the time into. And so uh, when you think about what it really means to forgive— when you think about um, putting forgiveness into practice, when you think about um, technology, when you think about Halloween, when you think about witches and witchcraft and demons, um, when you think about even language, the language that we use, um, there, there's some time, some settled time that we need to spend considering what does Scripture actually say about this? How would God have me living in the world that he so loves as a representative of Jesus Christ and the kingdom values of the king versus the way that I might just comfortably go the way of the culture. And so uh, when we come back from the break, John McWilliams and I are going to dig into Off Course Christianity. The book is free to you today uh, for download at toolspj.com. You just go to toolspj.com and up there uh, at the top of the page, you click on free eBooks, scroll down Well, you can download all of them, but the one we're talking about today is Off Course Christianity. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with John McWilliams, uh, among other things, he is the author of Off Course Christianity, which you can download for free it's a free ebook at ToolsPJ. That stands for Tools, Pastor John. ToolsPJ.com. John, let's uh, let's get into the book itself. Um, sure first thing. of all, it's intensely practical. I think that's really important for people to know. Um, and because you introduce the topic of language and you circle back around to it a couple of different times in the book, and 
and certainly that's where you land the plane in the end. Um, I'd like to talk about language and the language that we use as Christians. Good language, bad language, reverence, choosing our words. Um, Let me just set those out there as things that um, I culled from the book on this topic, and you lead us into a conversation about the words we use and the language we speak as Christians. Well, yes, um, I think that's a an important thing. The main point in those in the chapters that we're talking about there are swearing and cuss words and the fact that many Christians today feel that swearing is kind of, I guess, okay, uh, at least not that big a deal, because I hear everybody from the average Christian in the pew to pastors who swear on a sort of regular basis. And when I started hearing that, I thought to myself, why, why is that? Why, why have we gotten to that point where swearing is acceptable for a Christian pastor? And, of course, I share in the book how my own language had to be cleaned up. Even after I became a Christian, there were things like most of us have after becoming a faith uh, walker that we still make mistakes in. And, and it's like one person said, you know, when it comes to fishing, you know, God catches you and gets you in the boat, but the Holy Spirit has to clean you up. And that happens with all of us. And in the case of language, we have to look at what the Scriptures say about swearing, because swearing and foul language harms a person's spirit and, and degrades a person. And I wanted to take a look at that and see why it is that even a lot of Christians today feel that swearing is kind of an okay thing, when in fact, from Scripture, it's certainly not. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the way we talk. Um, when when you say that there's foul language, that suggests that there is language that is good and language that is not good. Let's talk about the standard of of morality, because ultimately this is going to come down to how I measure not just my words, but how I measure my morality. And so. What is the standard against which you are measuring each one of these um, conversations and chapters? Well, the standards are what the Scriptures themselves actually say and what they actually mean when you look at them and study them and do the exegesis on the passages. So, like I say, the standard on the front of the book, there's a compass, and the Bible is our compass. And... If you get off course when you're flying an airplane, for instance, or something of that sort, if your compass isn't telling you um, the way you're going, in other words, if my compass is telling me to go zero, nine, zero degrees and um, I get off of that, my, my course is supposed to be zero, nine, zero degrees, and I get off of that, then I'm not paying attention to where the compass is trying to, to take me. And... Like you said, this is a practical book. That's my goal as a pastor. If I encounter you in teaching or in any other way, preaching, if if you leave that situation without more tools in your toolbox to be practical in your life, then I have failed you. So this book is extremely practical, and I, I wanted it to be that way. And the standard is the scriptures. Um, that's our compass. And if we don't go in the direction that we're supposed to go, we get off course even a little bit, we can get in big trouble very quickly. So, John, I want to um, I want to take people. I, it's probably pretty close to the to the end of the book. And, and actually, you um, you are describing like if my neighbor is leaving on vacation, um, I might 
I, I actually get to choose my words. Like I'm going to get to choose what I'm going to say to them. Um, what are, what are some of my options? And, and this is about using our language as Christians as a, as an opportunity to witness, right? I mean, so any choice that I make, if I would get to the place where I would recognize that every step I take, every choice I make, including the words that I choose or the greeting that I offer somebody as we enter or, or part one another's company, each one of those is an actually an opportunity for Christian witness. So take us to the, you know, sort of like options with the neighbor conversation. Well, sure. I mean, the Bible says that we're supposed to be upbuilding in the way we treat each other. We're not supposed to tear each other down with our words. We're supposed to build each other up in the Lord. And I point out that from an evangelistic point of view, we have opportunities every day where we can bring God into the conversation. If a person is going on vacation, like you pointed out, you could say, well, okay, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Or you could say, God bless you on your vacation. I'll be praying for you. There's a big difference there. You could be standing at a beach with a beautiful sunset and, um, Somebody says, that's a beautiful sunset, isn't it? And you could say, sure. Or you could say, it is a beautiful sunset, and God is an amazing artist. Look at the colors he's put together for us today. And these are ways, little ways, that can bring God into the conversation and and that can plant some seeds to maybe further conversation, more meaningful conversation down the line. Yeah, you... you, um... I think you illuminate some things in this book where you're just going to help us see some things that we might not see anymore because they have become such a part of the water that we swim in culturally. Even something mm-hmm. like the use of the term, you know, mantra or um, like you, you call us out on that and you're like, you know, that is that is not a word that Christians should have in our active vocabulary. We should be talking um, about uh, about the way that God is um, is working in the midst of our traditions or practices, but we're not going to use the term mantra, which is borrowed from New Age, um, you know, Eastern religiosity. So I just, um, I want to lift those kinds of things up. Um, John McWilliams talks about all kinds of really practical things. The book is free. Please go and download it today. It's entitled Off Course Christianity. You can find it at toolspj.com. Tools, PJ, that stands for tools, Pastor John, Tools PJ. Dot com. Up at the top of the page, you'll see free ebooks. Go and, uh, you know, just have at it. It's a gift. Hey, John, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. You're welcome, Carmen. Thanks for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Likewise. We'll be right back. Hey, we're going to put ourselves uh, squarely in the center of God's will today. I'm going to encourage you to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to encourage you to choose your words carefully, um, courageously, cheerfully, graciously, mercifully, um, without fear. Let's be passing on to others what we have also received. And in fact, maybe that the gospel might go viral. There you go. There's an opportunity to work God back into the conversations of the day. What, What does it look like for for you and I to have the gospel go viral by passing on to others what we in turn have also received. What does it look like to be a purveyor today of uh, of the grace of God into the world that he so loves? Um, while others are uh, all a Twitter and in a panic about uh, what might be spreading among us, let's be people who are intentionally advocating, intentionally living toward 
the spread of the gospel. All right, so that's going to be my encouragement to you. Go, uh, go forth and expect the unexpected. Anticipate miracles, knowing that with God, all things are possible. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. Grab the podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.